All right, here we go. So the, uh, the project, uh, part two of Who Are We? All right, so if you're new here, it's a good time to be here because you get to find out what we're all on about. Last week, I looked at uh, loving Jesus, knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus this week. We're looking at a countercultural pilot plant. You'll find out what that means in a minute. In the last week, I've been doing a fair bit of investigation about um, different generations and different cultures, and I went searching for uh, some information about Gen Ys, and I found this picture, and I thought, this, there's no better description of Gen Ys than this one right here. <laughs> it's a bit irreverent. I asked Angela, I said, would it be sinful for me, Connor, to play this in church? But maybe I'll just get out of that. It's a terrible image, isn't it? But isn't it true? Wasn't it the generation that had their pants hanging halfway down their backsides? So uh, what I looked at is I actually looked at probably uh, there's three main generations that have been covered by uh, the project here, right? You've basically got, uh, there's probably, let me have a look, uh, there might be some baby boomers, all right? I think there's some baby boomers. We've definitely got some Gen X in here and we've definitely, definitely got Gen Ys. So uh, what I want to do is I'll just give you a couple of ideas about the different characteristics of uh, each of these generations. Basically, your baby boomers were born from 1946 to 1964. They're work-centric. They sacrificed a great deal to get where they are. They're generally uh, defined by their achievements. They probably get a bit frustrated with the younger generations, all right, because they don't seem to be doing the hard work that they did to actually get where they, where they got. Does anyone identify with this? Yeah, a couple. <laughs> Um, they think the younger generations have got a very poor work ethic. They're confident, they're independent, self-reliant, uh, and they tend to equate work and their position with their own sense of self-worth. That's going to get baby boomers, right? Then you've got your Gen Xs, which is me and a whole bunch of you. Born between the early 60s and the early 80s. All right, here we go. What happened with Gen X is... Um, what you actually found over the 60s to the 80s is women actually really started to enter the workforce... Uh, divorce started to take off. So what you actually had is uh, a term that they, uh, they use called latchkey children, which is where the Gen X children tended to find that they were home alone a bit. They were quite individualistic, independent, very resourceful. Uh, they prefer to do things on their own and they thrive in casual, friendly kind of work environments, right? They're self-sufficient. They adapted to technology, so they started and then there, was, there wasn't technology when they were young, but they've adapted to it, so they've worked out how to use it. Um, they actually watched, a lot of the Gen X people watched their parents uh, lose their jobs in the 80s recession. It was quite an intense recession in the 1980s. I remember being down in Sydney at the time, and there was a, um, I, I had money in term deposits, and I remember going into the bank and uh, reinvesting my money in a term deposit that was uh, paying 17.25% interest, all right? So if you imagine uh, what that was like in terms of borrowing, you're probably 2 or 3% over that. People were paying around about 20% interest on home loans, which was huge. But uh, Gen X people watched their parents, some of their parents, lose jobs. Um, and so Gen X has become quite individualistic, quite independent, and they just thought, we've just got to get the, the job that I need to get to get ahead. There's a, there was far less loyalty than the baby boomers had. Uh, and probably what would have been true of the Gen X is, is they tended to uh, work to live, not live to work. They worked hard, but their working hard actually was uh, matched with their playing hard. Gen X is pretty keen to get out and have a good time. They, um, were, they're pretty highly educated, they're active, they're balanced, 
They're pretty happy and family-oriented. Let me uh, just test any of you who might be Gen Xers. You know you're a Gen X if you own a pair of Doc Martens. You still catch yourself saying like whatever sometimes. You've seen slackers, singles and clerks. You remember exactly where you were when you heard Kurt Cobain was dead? There you go. Must be a baby boomer over the back there. Uh, you rocked at games like Asteroids, Pac-Man and Joust and your family owned an Apple IIc. Anyone know what I'm talking about? A couple. All right. Gen Ys. Gen Ys have hundreds of friends, all right, who are part of their online social networks. Yet they actually deeply value family connections. They've actually grown up with technology and they're absolutely embedded in technology. I think I read a survey a little while ago from uh, America saying that I think 60% of teens literally thought they would die if they couldn't text message on their phones. All right? Which just shows you how embedded technology's actually become for Gen Y. They want to make a lot of money, they, but they don't always want to go through all the channels to actually get to the point of making the money. They believe big time in non-profit organisations. Gen Ys, this is an interesting thing, Gen Ys tend to be more conformist than the Gen X people. Gen X is just kind of go kind of stuff, you guys, I'm going to do my own thing here. Gen Ys are kind of like, they just they kind of want to fit in a bit. They do want to change the world and they do want to have an impact on the world, but they generally want to be wearing the same cool jeans and sneakers as the people next to them, all right? So they're actually really kind of connected. It's really interesting, if you actually look at every generation, no generation actually fulfills the kind of culture and lives out the kind of culture that Jesus came to establish. The gospel, which is the good news about Jesus coming to save us, the gospel cuts across every single generation and rolls with every single generation. So it cuts across in some areas and it rolls with some things in other areas. As I describe the generations, I'm sure, I'm sure you heard some things there where you just kind of go, yeah, well, that's pretty good. There's more power to them. They should have more of that characteristic. All right? But there's other things where you're going, ah, that's a bit of a problem. All right? If we keep rolling with that, that's a bit of a problem. And the truth is that every single, single generation, whatever the characteristics are, has got things about it that are good and things about it that are quite, uh, quite harmful if they uh, kind of go unchecked. Just want to read a scripture from Acts 2, verse 37 to 41. It's on the screen there. Now, when they heard this, this is Peter preaching at Pentecost. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, note this, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptised and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. You know what Jesus established by coming? You know what the early church was on about doing? Is creating a whole group of people within a culture that would rebel against their culture. That's the job of the project. That's the job of every single church is to raise up a group of people that rebel against the, the cultural norms that are anti-Jesus and anti-the-gospel. That's the gig. That's what we're supposed to be doing. 
because every generation has its own peculiar, peculiarities oh, geez, of mind and thinking all right, and behaviour that don't actually work. You see, the truth is that all of us here, we're not just individual sinners. We're not just individual people that rebel against God. We're actually part of a movement in our culture that is often at odds with God. It's, and you know what? You don't even recognise it most of the time. Like one of the questions I've put in for community group is uh, what aspects of your culture are not in sync with, with God and, and the culture that God's wanting to develop? And you know the reality is you won't know, most of them. Now that's where it's going to be helpful if you're in a community group that's got multiple age groups in it, right? Because the baby boomers are going to sit there and just go, you Gen X people, you've got no idea, all right? Let me it's like I've said it here before. You don't ask a fish what the wetness of water's like, all right? And, and the question, because that's all it knows, the question that I'm asking in community groups this week is what things in your culture have you just absorbed without even knowing. So it's an odd question because you're asking someone to tell you about something they don't really know about. But yet they do. They do know about it. You see, we all share in the worldview and the mindset of our culture and our generation. You see, Jesus comes and he establishes the church and he says, he basically says, look, you guys now at the project need to be ruled by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. You need to be ruled by that, all right? Now, the Holy Spirit is uh, the, the third member of the Godhead, God, the Holy Spirit. And the deal was, uh, in Acts chapter 2, is that this was the time of Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit came. So in the Old Testament, the situation you've got is that God, by the Holy Spirit, actually brings about events and moves upon people, but he didn't actually live inside of people. And uh, if you were going to be really, really hardcore, you'd say the church actually started when, uh, when God called Abraham and said that he was going to make Abraham his people and Abraham's descendants his people. That was when the church started. But in Acts chapter 2, we've actually got the first time in history where the Holy Spirit actually comes and dwells in the church and in the members in the church. And everything changes. You see, the gospel requires that you look at your relationships, your family, your work and the world and your cultural identity all in a totally different light. Totally different. Not the same as your neighbours. That's, I think, a, a huge danger. I, I like the principle, but a huge danger of evangelism. Uh, often some people say, I'm... Uh, I'm not going to say that much about God. I'm just going to live the gospel out by my works, by what I do. I'm, I'm going to draw people to Jesus by just being like Jesus. And that's really good, right? But the big problem with that is most people's works or most people's actions aren't enough like Jesus to actually close the deal so that someone will go, there's something different about this person. And unfortunately in the, uh, in the church and for Christians... We don't look that much different a lot of the time. And it's not just about putting a show on. It's not just about gritting your teeth just for the sake of being different. But it is about actually seeing where in my culture have I just absorbed the way that, that my culture does things and it's not the way that Christ would do things. You see, the church is a new generation. It's a whole new people. It's a whole new culture that God's developing 
It's meant to be a group of saved people that are under the mastership, under the lordship of, of Jesus. What would that look like? What does a house look like in a street that is absolutely under the lordship of Jesus? And it's not absorbing or it's, it's, it's repelling the parts of culture away from itself. And I'm not talking about being this righteous, judgmental kind of person. I'm just saying someone absolutely committed to the lordship of God in their house and they just repel away the things that are not the culture that God wants to have. Maybe then, maybe some of us are doing it. I'm, I'm sure we are. But isn't that a bit like what Jesus said about how it's a light on a hill? Wouldn't you be a light in your street if you're not doing it already? Wouldn't you be a light in your street if you were fully under the lordship of Christ? So what we actually have well, in the church is, uh, as John Stott says, he says, uh, the church did not begin that day and it is incorrect to call the day Pentecost the birthday of the church. For the church, as the people of God, goes back at least 4,000 years to Abraham, what happened at Pentecost was that the remnant of God's people became the spirit-filled body of Christ, right? Now, you guys ought to get pretty excited about this, okay? You're probably sitting there bracing yourselves. It's going to get messy, right? Oh, this is kind of what it's going to be like, right? We're just having a close look at ourselves. Last week was let's examine ourselves. Let's examine how we're going at loving, knowing, and being known by Jesus. Today is let's examine how we're going individually and corporately at the project how we're going at being a pilot countercultural plant of God. This is really cool, all right? Because when God actually gets in the midst of people, crazy things happen, yeah? And is this not what we want? I'm just about to read a scripture in a minute that when the Holy Spirit is present and lives in individuals and corporately in a church, some really, really incredibly sweet things happen, all right? And I'm about to read a scripture, you'll go, man, could it ever be like that? Well, you know what? It was like that once, and it's been like that on a number of occasions since, and sometimes the church actually hits that bar, and some kind, sometimes God is incredibly dynamic in the way that he is in Acts chapter 2. And what it actually gives us is it gives us a really good insight as to what it's like to live in community. Here we go, Acts 2 verse 42 to 47. This is just after what we read earlier out of Acts 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Right? Now, you know what awe is? Awe is reverence mixed with fear. All right? This is not like a paddle pop is awesome. <laughs> okay? Because if you have a paddle pop that gives you reverence mixed with fear, you probably need to put it in the bin, all right? Because that, that's a weird paddle pop, all right? It'll do weird things to you, okay? So this is good. This is really good. But it's like we're just not going to muck around with this. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. People were getting healed. People, God was saying things to people that they knew in advance, like prophetic things, so God could communicate to someone and then they could tell everyone, this is what's going to happen or this is what God wants you to do. This is pretty active. This is pretty amazing. I mean, wouldn't this be good if this was a church at the project, wouldn't it? Man, this would be good. 
and all who believed were together and, and had all things in common. Some people say this is the birth of communism, but it's not. All right. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Okay, let me ask you, would this be a good church to be? It's an interesting question. We'll get to it later. But are you prepared to sell some stuff for someone else in the church and just give it away? How much stuff have you given away? I mean, that would be a good question, wouldn't it, in a materialistic society where the person with the most toys wins a lot of the time. And this is the weird thing about talking about this sort of stuff in churches. You sit there and you go, this is a really cool scripture, all right? And that sounds like a really good church to be in, but, well, they've got more money than me. They've got more stuff. and They don't need that extra trailer. Why don't they give it to someone? You know, it's almost like we all would love to be in the situation, but we're not necessarily, well, hopefully some of you are. I think you would be, but for some of us anyway, there's a, reluctance on the inside where you're just going to go well I'd like to be there but I'm not sure I want to pay the cost to get there and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts do you know that because there's probably a part of you after I just said what I said about not being willing to pay the cost is just going okay well I've just got to grit my teeth and do it now these guys are not gritting their teeth and doing it they're happy, all right? Just give it away, all right? Now, for those of us who know our Bibles a bit, you're not that surprised by that, right? Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You guys know it, all right? So you just got to believe him. Wouldn't that be a good thing? See, at this point, and I'm not even into the details about how maybe we need to be countercultural, but wouldn't that be countercultural in materialistic, Toowoomba. People come here and they Imagine people coming in they don't even know Jesus. Maybe there's some people here who don't know him. You come in and you just see people giving stuff to each other. You're just going, what the heck is this? I've never seen this anywhere. All right, now, to be true, to be fair, the salvos do it, don't they? And lots of people give stuff. So I'm not saying that people out there don't give things, right? We have flood appeals. People have been incredibly generous, Okay? But given what we know, given the goodness of God toward us, given God's faithfulness toward us, I feel at least some level of pressure to outgive culture. Shouldn't we? Now, I'm not just saying this because the project's got a budget. That's got nothing to do with it, right? I'm not even asking for your money. You give it somewhere else if you want to give it somewhere else, right? But it's just weird. A lot of my experience in church, the church has been less generous than culture has been. Just telling you. It, it ought not be that way. We, we should be leading, all right? Not in a judgmental way like you filthy sinners out there, you know, we're giving all this cash and you guys are lousy, you need to be saved, all right? No, we should be giving to them. We should be giving to each other and giving to them. Does anyone agree with me or am I just, you're already offended, aren't you? And I'm done with this. When does this go till? And look at the last bit. And the Lord added to their number, how often? Every single day. Now that would be good, wouldn't it? 
I mean, one of the things we looked at stakeholders not is that the projects on Sunday morning, the attendance has grown by 30% annually, right? Which is, well, that's good, right? Oh, it's, it's good if people aren't coming to churches outside coming to the movies, all right? We just kind of come for two hours, that's a good show and I'll go home. That's probably not that good, all right? But if people are coming and they're getting fired up for Jesus and they're loving him more and they're talking to more people about Jesus and they're caring for each other and they're giving stuff, let's have 300 people like that, amen? Yeah, let's have 300. That would be a good place to be in. Now, just by the way, i just got to say this. If you're not a Christian or you're a new Christian, this is probably just a little bit more for in-house folk today, all right? This is a bit of a home kind of discussion and there'll be some stuff here for you. All right, but I, I really don't want you to feel any kind of pressure from what I'm saying today because I don't think it's really for people who are new or they're not Christians. This is really for Christians. We need to get our house in order somewhat. So let's fly through some of the characteristics. I'm just going to fly through this and then we'll get to a few things um, that tie in with the Project Core Values. Here we go. Here was, here's some of the characteristics of the Spirit-filled church. First thing is this. The church trained and educated its members. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is what we're trying to do here by doing this. It's a responsibility of the leadership to make sure that you guys get trained. All right? Good thing to do. The church brought its members together constantly. They actually couldn't stay away from each other. You notice... In verse uh, 46 there, it says, and day by day. They're just plugging in with each other regularly, daily. The church moved members into relationships of mutual support and fellowship, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. All and all who believed were together, verse 42 and 44. The church had small group meetings and large group meetings. It's what we see here in Acts 2, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So here's the thing. This is why the project, we've got community groups, all right? Come to church Sunday morning, be part of a community group. Do it big and then do it small. I think Mars Hill says worship gathered and then worship scattered, all right? That's the terminology they use, pretty good terminology. They practice communion. This is our job now. Here we go. Here's a confession from the leadership. We didn't have communion enough last year, all right? And uh, people have been talking to us, and they're right, okay? And that's our job, to make sure that we have communion. Now, we've made a decision about what we're going to be doing with communion, and we're basically going to have it whenever it fits in really neatly with the message. So we're having it today. And so you can expect things are going to tail in that direction at the end of today's message, all right? Because we want to do it more often, but we don't want to lose the significance and the importance of it. The church spent much time in group large and small prayer. And do you pray? I assume you do. I think most Christians do pray. You get together with other people and pray. I mean, we pray a bit at church Sunday morning, but if you do, you're doing this. This is the thing. This is not... Acts 2 is not unachievable. It's not impossible. It's not like we've got to get out and flog ourselves on the back to actually do Acts 2. This is like, Acts 2 is like an invitation and, and God's saying, your church could actually be like this because this is the way that I want church to be. The church practiced radical stewardship, economic sharing and mercy ministry at least within their community. They sold, sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to any, to all as any had need. There were deeds of power and miraculous uh, 
things happening, at which reinforced the disciples' preaching. Covered that before. The community life is extremely attractive to outsiders. Note this. They had favour with all the people. This is somewhat odd. Now, I don't know whether this is just uh, before things really started to get brutal, but you actually notice a lot of Christians, well, for the first 300 years of Christianity, Christians are being slaughtered for being Christians. If you're ever talking to a Muslim, and uh, one of the things in a nice, respectful way you can say to them is, look, the first 300 years of Islam, you guys killed people. You've got to find a nice way to say that because you don't want them to kill you. <laughs> but for the first 300 years of Christianity, people were killing Christians. It's kind of a bit different. If you look at the history of Muhammad and the crusades that he went on, they very much had a convert or die kind of thing going on. And I'm not saying this like, let's beat up on the Muslims, right? But you can, can you see the difference in spirit there, all right? Yet, in the midst of all of this, assuming that it was happening at this point in time, it was really attractive to outsiders, People who didn't love Jesus, didn't go to church, looked and thought, this is a really cool community. This is a really cool subculture. Uh, church was extremely evangelistically effective. We mentioned that before about how uh, there, was, there were new uh, people following Jesus every single day that were being added to their number. New converts were not just individuals, but they were deeply part of the group. Do you see that? People came in and they decided, well, I want to follow Jesus too. And it wasn't like, right, you've just got to go through some apprenticeship process. They just go, no, you're one of us. You're one of us. And that would be a huge heart for the project here is that people would come and they'd start to love Jesus at the project and they'd just be one of us. It's not like we're not going to rank people, right? You're like a lieutenant and I'm a major and we're not doing that, all right? People come in, start following Jesus, we're all on the same level, all right? And we're all following Jesus and we've all got problems and Jesus is helping us all. There was a general spirit of joy across all aspects of the church. Like I said before, don't hear me criticising you and like you've just got to try harder. This is an invitation from God to be part of a countercultural pilot plan that is absolutely wonderful and they knew it and they felt it. One of the things uh, I just want to focus on uh, in the last uh, 10 minutes or so here is this whole notion of fellowship. Now, I grew up in the Prezi Church, all right, and everything was called fellowship. I'm just going, what the, heck, what the heck's fellowship, right? And then one dude gets up at church one Sunday and he goes, we cordially invite you to our church. I said to Dad, what, what does that mean? He goes, well, it means he's going to give you a cordial after church. I'm just going, I'm cool with that, all right? And I'm a young guy, I'll take that. But obviously, my dad thought he was funny. Um, but you know what they did is it actually, it actually says in Acts 2.42 that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. This is really... You know what's interesting about this is this is, this is not only countercultural to the, the broader culture, but I'll put this out there. I think it's countercultural to church culture now. Isn't that true? There is a real, there is a, there's a, and I'm not saying this in an angry way, but there's a real drifting of people around the place. If, if, if you talk about that, and you can ask yourself this now, like, are you devoted to the fellowship? Are you devoted to a church? 
devoted. I can't remember the stat. I think it was something like, I don't know whether Diff or Nathan can help me. I think Ian Shelton said that it's, on any given Sunday, there's a third of Christians in Tormouth that don't go to church. Now, you're sitting there and you're going, yeah, but I've got stuff that I've got to do. I've got engagements and I go on holidays. Totally, all right? Sunday girls have holidays too, as much as it looks like it might be otherwise. We have holidays and we go away. I'm not talking about that. Because being devoted is about priority, isn't it? And so if, if you don't, if you, if you don't, if you can't make it, that's okay. But what about the rest of the time? You see, you get the feeling here in Acts is this is, this is a really central priority and we're going to do this. Not because we're religious nuts who want to get all our religious ducks in a row so that God will like us and other people will think we're great people, but because we love Jesus and this is the culture that he's wanting to build in our culture. And probably if everyone in the project came together and were really, really tight and I think we're going okay, but I think we can keep getting better, it would become really attractive to lots of people. And who knows whether God might actually just start bringing people in here that just decide they want to start following Jesus and we have five every Sunday. Is that possible? It is. It could be 50. In uh, Acts, they had 3,000 in one day. All right? Now, I'm checking into a psych ward, right? If we have 3,000 in one day at the project here, it's possible, right? It's happened before and God can do it. And it doesn't come by hard, grit your teeth work. It comes by happy, joyful, community sharing, uh, gospel loving, Jesus loving, tight church. It comes by fellowship. You know what fellowship means? I'll give you a definition. Fellowship is friendliness and companionship based on shared interests. A group of people meeting or pursuing a shared interest or aim. Now this word had almost been uh, designated for the dustbin in a sense uh, as far as I was concerned. I reckon most of my life I grew up just thinking fellowship was church people getting together, which is kind of what it is, but it's kind of a whole lot more than just church people getting together until this came along. The first Lord of the Rings is subtitled what? The Fellowship of the Ring. Why is it called the Fellowship of the Ring? Because you've got a whole group of people who are united in a particular direction wanting to achieve a particular goal. Here it is. Set in Middle Earth, the story tells of the Dark Lord Sauron who is seeking the One Ring. The Ring has found its way to the young hobbit Frodo Baggins. The fate of Middle Earth hangs in the balance as Frodo and eight companions who form the Fellowship of the Ring begin their journey to Mount Doom in the land of Mordor, the only place where the ring can be destroyed. The plan of the project is not to lead you to Mount Doom, all right? But the plan is to actually lead you somewhere and for all of us to just be in the thick of it together, all right? So if it gets messy, all right, we're all in the mess together, right? Because we're all going to pray a whole lot harder if we're all together in the midst of the mess, all right? What tends to happen is... because uh, it just happens. In churches, sometimes things get a little bit difficult. All right? And the reason why is because you get 100 people together who uh, don't always worship Jesus, and there's going to be conflict. All right? And there's going to be trouble. That's just what happens in churches, right? Now, you don't want to be like rats jumping off a sinking ship. All right? This place, that's not a fellowship. All right? You know what that is? That's the movies. That's a bad movie, so we get up and we walk out. That's what we do. 
That's not a fellowship. In uh, Acts chapter 2, they are devoted to the fellowship. Let me read you a quote out of uh, Lord of the Rings. I reckon, uh, honestly, if you guys had the heart that is in this next quote out of the Lord of the Rings book, we'd we'd be sweet as, all right? And I think a lot of you do. And that's what was so exciting about the stakeholders night the other night is we had a real sense of, man, there's some people actually going to get alongside us and we're all going to work together. And if it gets difficult, there's probably a little bit of a feeling where I'm just thinking, man, they're not going to leave us. They're not jumping the ship and saying, hey, it was a nice sailing with you. All right, there's six lifeboats and we've already deployed them and you can just swim. All right, here we go. It does not seem that I can trust anyone, said Frodo. Sam looked at him unhappily. It all depends on what you want, put in Mary. You can trust us to stick to you through thick and thin to the bitter end and you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you can keep it yourself. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go off without a word. We are your friends, Frodo. Anyway, there it is. We know most of what Gandalf has told you. We know a good deal about the ring. We are horribly afraid, but we are going with you or following you like hounds. That, I mean, if, if, if we just had in the project, we had that kind of heart, and that doesn't mean the leadership get everything right. It doesn't mean you can't disagree. Yes, you can disagree. Come and talk to us, you know, but if... At the core of it, there's a devotion to the fellowship. There's a devotion to the, the, the stated goal that we want to be like Jesus and we want to introduce other people to Jesus and love each other like Jesus. Let's just be tight with it. Now, I, um, is anyone here like a physicist? I'm going to get in trouble here. You watch this. I've done a little bit of research, right? I'm going to teach you a bit of science here. Just a tiny bit, all right? Lean up the front here, so up the back's already started laughing because I'm teaching science, but that's cool. Does anyone know what the uh, first law of uh, thermodynamics is? There you go. Anyone? All right, here we go. I'm going to tell you what it is. Newton's first law of thermodynamics basically says this. I'm giving you a... Um, a summary of it, and this is not the scientific summary, this is just a general summary of the idea, is that all things tend toward entropy. Entropy is disorder. All right? So all th- anyone who's got children who have their own bedroom, you know this is true, right? And things tend toward disorder. Okay? And it's actually true. I was talking to a science teacher in the uh, school here the other day, and he actually said a good example of entropy is when you pick up a... Uh, a cold piece of steel, what actually tends to happen, even though the steel might warm up, what actually happens mostly is that your hand loses heat and where the steel is actually gets colder. All right? And that's kind of the law, in, the law at work, that it's actually dissipation of heat and the tendency to dissipate toward disorder rather than head toward order. Now, if you're a philosopher of some sort or an armchair philosopher, this, I think, probably is a pretty good argument against evolution, right? Because evolution, the evolutionary theory heads in the exactly opposite direction. It actually says we start with disorder and we move toward order. But Newton found, and the physical world tells us, that we tend to start with order in a sense and move toward disorder. It actually works in the opposite direction, which is uh, interesting. I'm sure if you've uh, got a a rabid atheist friend, they will find some way to get around that. But um, that's basically how it works. And you know what? 
Isn't that true of people? See, if you leave people alone and people don't put effort in, what happens? Do you tend toward unity or disunity? What do you tend toward? Disunity. All right? Now, I asked this science teacher at the school here, I said, how do you get it back? Like, if you're tending toward disorder, how do you kind of stop that process? And he says, well, here's the deal. He said, the Earth pretty much is a closed system. And he said, the only way... Well, he said that the amount of energy within the Earth's system is, uh, is at a fixed amount. He said, but the only way that you can actually change that is by someone or something coming from outside of the system. You see this? I'm picking up what I'm putting down here. Something comes from outside of the system and reverses the process of disorder. Which is Jesus, isn't it? He comes from outside the system. We're hurtling into more and more disorder. And he, reversed, he reverses it. He starts to put things in order. But the truth is, for all of us, is that we actually don't come to a place of order and unity in the project without his involvement and without our effort. There's five things. going to fly through these uh, really quick. Five things we'd love to see develop and grow at the project. We'd love to see intense fellowship. All right? And when I say intense fellowship, it's not like everyone's standing around frowning at each other, right? Just going, all right? That's just like lots of it. Lots of it. And not just, did you watch the All-Stars game last night? You know, but um, were you thinking about Jesus during the All-Stars game? I don't know. All right? It's a gospel-centeredness to it, a Jesus-centeredness to it. All right? Because they worked at it. They were devoted to it, as I was saying before. And part of that is there was a bit of a sense that there was some accountability there. All right? And this is, man, is this a problem in the church at the moment? All right? From what I know about the church generally, people go to churches, they do something funky, right? And the church kind of goes, ah, that's really uncool. You shouldn't do that funky stuff. We want to help you work with it. And what do they do? They leave, all right? And so there's a sense that they're not actually accountable and under the leadership and the authority that God's placed in the leadership of the church. Now, we're not all going to drink Kool-Aid, right? <coughs> I'm not like some kind of cult leader who wants to have power and control over you at all, okay? If anything, people tend to say to me, well, you we should be a little bit more, should tell people what they should do a little bit more. And I'm just going, oh, I can't do it. All right, I'll tell you what Jesus says and you need to follow him. All right, But there might be some times in the project where some messy stuff happens where the leadership in consultation with the leadership at Toowoomba City Church, we would not do this stuff lightly, but we just need to get involved and help some people to follow Jesus. All right, And if that's you, don't just decide because they've said something we don't like that you're just going to get up and go to a different church. Because it actually doesn't help you. Because you just take that to your next one, if that's you. And, you. and you never deal with it. You see, in, a, in an intense fellowship, there's a responsibility on every member to actually guide, care and support each other. That's, this is just kind of part of it. It was daily. People were involved in each other's lives. It was economic and spiritual. We covered this before. 
all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, here's something I've been thinking about and chewing over because this is like if you just chew on this one and think about it, this is a little bit freaky. Other brothers and sisters had a claim on their time, their heart and their resources. See, we talk a lot in the church about uh, having a heart to serve people and to give toward people. What about the fact that in, a, in the family of God, not only is the call there for me to, to give and to serve and to help each other, but the call's there also that they own a part of me. Because isn't that, I mean, that's how family works, isn't it? A family's not a bunch of independent people that have to ask permission before they do things all the time. A family is people who have got, actually got a little bit of a claim on each other because you're all in it together. And I kind of, now for me, I'm pretty time poor, right? So I started thinking, okay, well, what if I'm in a really difficult week and um, I'm just lots of pressure kind of week, all right? And I've just got to get an assignment in for my study and someone needs me. And like, I'm not just saying they're just a really needy person, I'm saying they actually need me. They need some of my time. It's not just a question of, are you prepared to give your time? It's a question of, are you prepared to realise that in a fellowship, in a community, they actually own a part of it? Well, they've got a right to some of it, because that's how communities work. That's how families work. Is this okay? It was small group based. You see, basically what it looked like they were doing in Acts 2 is they'd do something at the temple, they'd do loving uh, Jesus, they'd do learning about Jesus and they'd do worship at the temple and then they'd do the same thing but in a small group context in a home. So that's kind of what we're trying to do at the project here. Let's do, let's do it on Sunday morning and let's do it in community groups. The last one was this. It was extremely sensitive People actually knew who had needs. Now, this is a really difficult thing uh, in our culture, right? Because the, the thing that... Part of the issue is that people don't want to appear needy, so we don't actually talk about the stuff that's a need for us. So for us, part of it is... Because I think most of us would be really keen to help people, but a lot of the time we don't even know where people need help. And we're probably not even that vulnerable enough to be prepared to say, hey, I need, I need some stuff. Uh, we've got, we're on a uh, social networking site. The church has got our own, and uh, I'll tell you about that later. But one of the guys who's on there just moved into a, into a house, and he posted on there, he said, has anyone got any furniture because we don't have anything? Pretty much. I mean, they had a few things, but they needed more. And I just thought, I thought it was probably more gutsy to actually post something saying I need some stuff than it was for people to actually chip in and help out. Because I think we're generally pretty willing to help out. All right? But part of the problem is the community's not tight enough, not intense enough, not, we're probably not quite being honest enough to know where the needs are. I offered to help one of the project guys do some landscaping last week and I'm just going, where the heck am I going to get time to do some landscaping? Well, I should go over and just do some landscaping with him because he's got a big yard and he hasn't done anything. And he's got a big job in front of him. And that's kind of one of those things where I just say, oh man, like priorities. I've got like hardly any hours left in the day as it is. But at some level, people in the church have a claim on my time, my heart and my resources. 
All right. What we're going to do is uh, I'm going to get you to do another survey. So uh, if I can, would you mind handing those out? That'd be great. Thanks, Joe. Does anyone need a pen? I've got a. Uh, we have pens. Oh, Jared Champ. Jared's coming around with a pen. How would it be? Let me uh, throw this around while you're waiting for that to be handed out. How would it be if you had a family and you had a bunch of kids and if you do, that's going to be easy for you to imagine. How would it be, though, if you had a, a child who decided they only would ever come and be with the family at mealtime? The rest of the time they stayed in their, bed, in their bedroom. Would that work? Like the rest of the time, I'm talking years, they just... That is what it's like to only come to church on Sunday and not be committed to people within the church. It's like you're like a kid. Maybe this is rude. You can tell me later if you think it's rude, but you're like a kid that just stays in its room all the time. It's not a family at all. It's not the family God wants. Let's go through, eh? Circle uh, yes or no. Do you make sure you listen to any messages that you've missed at church? Doesn't have to be the project. Do you? I mean, the, the early church were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. Now, we're not apostles. I'm not saying we're apostles. We'll never be apostles, right? In the New Testament sense. Because none of us have an authoritative revelation from God. And if we ever tell you that we do, you should probably find a different church. But talk to us first and just say, listen, you're not Paul, your name's Peter, but you're nothing like the original one. All right? Two, is there evidence that you are seeking a deeper understanding of the Scriptures? Yes or no? Three, do you have daily gospel-centered connections with other church members? Yes or no? Four, are you committed to attending church regularly? Yes or no? I mean, that's it's a bit shameful, really. We're kind of, if a third of the Christians in Toowoomba are not in church any given Sunday, it's a pretty fair chance they're not doing the day-by-day -day thing either. All right? Are you regularly meeting in homes with others from the church? Yes or no? I'm not asking, and there's no question here saying, are you in a project community group, right? Because a community group's only a vehicle to get to the end. This is the end. The end is that you'd be in other people's homes talking about Jesus and praying together. Are you praying regularly with others from church? Seven, are you sharing your possessions with others in the church? Eight, probably wondering how the heck do you get this after this message but here we go is there a spirit of joy in your involvement in the church are you happy are you happy to do it i hope this message does not produce depressed sad negative people who just you know next week everyone's got a frown all right we're all wearing black all right and we're all wondering who died okay that would be anti acts 2 nine do you feel the responsibility for other people's relationship with God? They did. 
And the last one, number 10, are you aware of where the needs are in the church? Stick that in your pouch and maybe you can pray over that one. We're going to transition into communion, so maybe Nath, if you want to come up. You know, I said the, uh, that all things tend toward entropy. The only way you can reverse that is by something from outside the system interjecting some energy and some order into the system. Communion's all about that very thing happening, isn't it? I want to read you a uh, scripture from Isaiah. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, other versions say it was with Jesus' stripes that we get healed. And I hope you can see the connection to what I've been talking about today. If all things tend toward entropy, for Jesus to bring together in unity and in community a group of people that love him and follow him, He's going to have to be broken apart. Do you get that? That's how it works. It's just... With Christ, that's the way it works. That The reverse happens to him, so the positive happens to us. The, the very existence of the project and the very existence of all of you is because he got torn apart. And that actually brings the community...